This is Refigure with Chris and Rifo. A weekly dive into our favourite bits of culture, tech and diversity. Hello, welcome to Refigure. Re- oh, I can't be bothered. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm Christopher. And I'm Reefa. And on tonight's show, we're going to talk about arts, culture, tech, diversity in the context, in the kaleidoscope of <laughs> Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> we're going to choose some of our highlights. We're going to talk about how we experience Glastonbury Festival and what it is and why it is and how. Do we have any housekeeping to do before we start? I don't think we do. Like what? Uh, any news, any other things? No. Let's just crack on, mate. Cool. So Glastonbury this year, we watched on the BBC iPlayer, which we set up in our living room with speakers, and we cleared pretty much our whole schedule for the weekend, although we did have a couple of breaks, but we mainly spent the entire weekend watching the stage live streams at Glastonbury Festival, which means we didn't have to deal with the BBC presenters, no disrespect or anything, but we didn't have to deal with them or anyone else's choice of what songs we see or what bands we see. We didn't have to deal with any pre-recorded packages about quirky life at Glastonbury, people in silver costumes dancing around or anything stupid like that. We just got to pick from a big lineup of artists playing music and watch the whole set. So it actually kind of was uh, an equivalent of being at the festival itself. We bought in loads of snacks and I made loads of fake festival food because I'm an idiot. And then we watched it. How did you feel about it? Did you actually enjoy the weekend? Because it's like a whole weekend of that. Maybe we should explain what Glastonbury is. It's the size of Oxford. People come from all over the world to go to a tiny farm in the middle of Somerset. Watch a bunch of bands. Glastonbury veterans would say... The festival is not just about the bands, though, wouldn't they? There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And how many stages are there, generally? About 100. There's about 100. So one of the things I wanted to say was that, obviously, it's really fun doing Glastonbury in your living room because we don't have to travel there and it was really (laughs) hot and we don't have to deal with a couple of hundred thousand people in a field And we don't have to deal with camping. We didn't have to do any camping. Although, I just read Sally Hughes today. She said something about, on Twitter, said something about, what is it about people that constantly want to tell you that they don't want to go to Glastonbury? Like, we don't care. We go to Glastonbury and we don't care that you're not there. So, but stop banging on about the fact you don't go. That is a fair comment. Which is fair comment. And if you enjoy Glastonbury, I'm sure people go year after year after year and they have a great time. And some of them don't go anywhere near the music. But clearly, the experience that we had is just a tiny slice of what goes on at Glastonbury even in the music because they don't televise every single stage they pick five or six stages on the BBC and they miss out loads so so yes of course I enjoyed it so much fun to hang out with my Chris for the whole (laughs) weekend and then I get to order in my burger choices and I don't even have to leave my living room I thought the quality of the acts this year were brilliant. It's uh, obviously on the BBC remit to show more, showcase more female acts and more diversity than ever before. 
diversity of genres and diversity of race and culture as well. So yeah, the biggest news story probably was headline act Friday night, which was Stormzy. People who never heard of him now definitely know the name Stormzy, although there was another tweet about how somebody's dad was like, that rapper, he was rather good, wasn't he? And they were like, what? what's his name then? Of course I know his name. It's Spotify. <laughs> I got the feeling that you really enjoyed that we were curating our own experience so we could pick the bands, but that we were also in the comfort of home. Of course. Oh, well, that was a good question. <laughs> of course it was. Yes. I'm, it's an incredible feat. They have to time it really well. They also have to work with the live feed of the sound and they have to deal with the artists and it's all live. So and the people and there's so much going on that I just think they do a good brilliant job but there were some technical issues that was one of the things that I felt was most improved from previous years was what we were hearing when we were watching the bands for the first time maybe for me felt like bang on no it's not the same as being there but it felt like bang on great sound for a lot of bands and then when there were technical problems on stage or odd things that happened which is inevitable the fixes happened really quickly. Like Lewis Capaldi starts his set and clearly a feed goes right at the beginning and for a few seconds there's nothing at all and then they pull in a backup microphone from somewhere that's picking up something and I think it might have been the monitor mix or the on-stage thing or something. So you get a kind of approximation of the show and then he finishes a song, starts chatting to the audience because Lewis Capaldi's kind of big shtick is he's really funny and he chats to the audience and by the time he kicks into the second song they've, they've fixed it. However, whatever they've had to plug back in or rewire or whatever, it's been done. And every time something happened, it felt like that. It felt really impressive compared to some previous years where Glastonbury has felt rough. But <laughs> rough. <laughs> but the other thing is the sheer choice you mentioned. That's that is the festival themselves. Like Glastonbury is doing a really impressive job of pushing toward better representation among UK festivals, and there is a big push now nationwide thanks to the thing the PRS Foundation led where the festivals got together and themselves said look this isn't good enough we've got to work towards it what so, was what well so I think it's called 5050 for 2020 and it was basically an initiative that by next year I mean they started this like two or three years ago but by next year festivals will book 5050 women men artists and represent women better and so that's just as a great start obviously we came back from primavera buzzing because it makes it better when primavera have already done it and achieved 50 50 or achieved even better than 50 50 when you see a lineup which a lot of the indie 90s revival stuff that's happening at the moment um you will notice it that there'll be one band maybe if that with a woman in it you know so who did you enjoy most so what was your favorite snack oh, no no what who did you enjoy most i did this absolutely ridiculous thing on facebook where i put a massive list of what we saw and we did see more than we could have physically possibly seen at glastonbury i think i mean it would have been a real task to see the whole sets because we we went and saw whole complete sets i really loved well we've talked about stormzy stormzy's headline set was beyond magnificent it was brilliant he managed to do two things at once that were almost impossible and yet he pulled them off completely effortlessly one was he created an open-hearted kind of generous headline slot that massively propped his scene and the artists that have influenced him and the scene that he comes from and he was like name checking over 60 other artists 
as a tribute to them and how he'd got where he'd got and then bringing other artists on stage he did an extraordinary that segment with ballet black where he brought on stage and he told us about the whole thing with ba- ballet shoes for different skin tones he did a huge amount of work he signaled it at the very top by taking that little excerpt of talking to Jay-Z about it and what you do with a headline like that and the opportunity you've got. And then he followed through with that right to the end. So bringing other artists on stage and making these statements, he was effortlessly political. And then the other thing I was going to say he did at the same time was he didn't compromise on what his he is as an artist. He's an amazing rapper, grime artist. He's not, he's not someone who's taken that genre just as a starting point to become a pop star for example that's what he is and he did that over like two hours and it didn't stop for breath it was brilliant if there was one misstep which i know everyone has said was he did a bit with chris martin and it was a bit unnecessary (laughs) and that's i didn't feel i felt a bit sorry for chris martin that everyone's going on him because mark ronson did just as many sneaky guest slots as chris martin did but nobody noticed because he wore a wig. But um, Chris Martin, that was a bit whiffy, but every other aspect of the show was incredible. And the dude's 25 and he's done one album and he can hold a headline like that. It's outrageous. I just loved my feed is full of like all different people from all around the world who were just blown away by it. I mean, it's his magneticness, his magnetism, (laughs) his magnetism. You know, to see this strong black man do his thing on in front of a gazillion people. I really enjoyed... Um, so he got Dave on with the other bloke, can't remember. Fredo. I just love the enthusiasm and the, the scene is just vibrant. I mean, it's just bonkers and what they're talking about and what they're passionate about and what they enjoy. And some of, the, some of it's so funny as well. I mean, I love some of the women artists as well. But anyway, like... Lady Leisure, for example. And the crowd is just bonkers. They can't even... I mean, when did I last see... I don't know. I've seen I've seen some sets of grime artists at festivals like Lady Leisure, for example, at the BBC... One of these BBC festivals. Anyway, but to see Glastonbury full of these young people giving it at the front because there's one of them on stage and that is what grime is all about the scene is just lit well loyal Carner also was one of the sets of the weekend and he's his kind of measured delivery as well is brilliant it's people realizing that they can like several different artists and they all have their different flavors and their different styles um, slow tie as well, completely different again. So you've got slow tie and Lil Kana don't sound like each other, but then you've still got when slow tie is on stage creating circle pits down the front of thousands of people. Loyal Kana literally, literally comes out from backstage, dives down into the crowd and takes part in the circle pit. And it's like it's like uh, <laughs> it's just the, the spirit of real. It's like what I remember the exciting spirit of like just Nirvana, yeah, or something like yeah, that. It really feels like that, but it just happens to be a different kind and of music. Pro- exactly, and it's proper underground but it's also mainstream I mean like everybody in the country knows who Stormzy is now so that's exciting my top three were Stormzy Lizzo and Idols and all three of them couldn't be more different all spoke from the heart all had something to say all were genuinely moved by the audience honestly Kylie could do it too but you know she she didn't have a lot more to say than anybody else right um idols joe gets 
gets emotional from the moment he walks on the stage. <laughs> yes. He's on his knees. And then he and then his wife who's in the NHS and he talks about his mum. And I've heard these songs a million times and I've seen them at the Concord. Even watching it at home, I feel like I was there. And uh, yeah, the BBC did a great job for that. And Billie Eilish, actually, Chris was like, you got to watch Billie Eilish. She great. So I watched her and I thought she was fantastic. Well, to give you an idea how high up in my estimation the whole thing was, I've got nine artists that I've scored more than nine out of ten. And then another like... Who uh, was 10 seven. out of 10? No one was 10 out of 10. I wouldn't score. But what? I gave... I had a whole section. I got six artists that are 9.5 out of 10 or higher, which includes all your three, plus also jazz, drone rock, experimental band The Comet Is Coming, who were incredible. Chemical Brothers on the Saturday night, yeah. late night set, which we, we didn't quite watch live. We went back to it at sort of one in the morning and watched it. That was a magic set. So that's almost like... For us, what maybe older people would see like a, a 60s band. So it's like a nostalgia set, but it was so wonderful just to hear the mixes of those tunes and the way they built the set. And also, it is the crowd, like you say. The crowd is giving it for Stormzy, giving it for Lizzo. Like, she absolutely wrecks that crowd. Like, she's one of the best live performers in the world right now. She can take an audience like Freddie Mercury took an audience. She can rap like Missy Elliott. And she can sing only a breath shy of Aretha Franklin. Like, she is the absolute, like, world-class performer. And that crowd, not even on a main stage. I so tell you what amazing. made us feel as well. Like, music can really get boring sometimes honestly believe that i've seen so much shit music in my time but also lots of really good stuff it takes a lot for us to get enthusiastic about music doesn't it like and in this last few months like idols have really stolen my heart and i got so excited about them and then lizzo i'm so obsessed with lizzo and for again another underground artist she I first heard about her last year with Big Frida we've talked about it before when we saw her at Primavera but she is uncompromising she's so funny as well and that's the same thing it's like she's talking about genuine stuff and has touched a lot of people that's very true the other artists that I gave more than 9 out of 10 are Sharon Van Etten the kind of noirish indie American singer who's an actor as well her returning record was great anyway but I almost wasn't in the mood for her because we watched her like we'd seen something really uplifting maybe we'd just seen the Lizzo set and I was thinking I'm not going to enjoy this because it's noir and then she was magnificent and then bit emo for me um, the other three are Kamazi Washington the jazz guru fusion saxophonist saxophonist (laughs) With an incredible band, and they're incredibly Porn. radical as well. They, there was some amazing radicalism in that set, uncompromising as well. Uh, Miley Cyrus. Now, I'm not sure you wouldn't have necessarily got into the Miley Cyrus, I'm sure, but for me, she had this dark, damaged energy, and she has a killer voice, and she's got a few hits, but not enough hits to warrant where she is in the culture. And so she worked her ass off to create a Glastonbury show that would work. So she did tributes to other artists. She covered, you know, Nine Inch Nails and and Metallica and Amy Winehouse. She had Mark Ronson on stage with her. She worked so hard to make that set work, and she was brilliant. You can smell in the audience that she wins them over. You can smell... Like, she's also got the toughest slot of the weekend any year, which is the slot after the Legends slot. So she had to go on after Kylie. Well, yeah, that's maybe why I... You weren't into it I weren't into it, because you made me watch Kylie... 
which wasn't a no for me. Yeah, see, I'd that's really Britney. interesting because um, I'm I'm sort of saying that as if it's really tough if you think Kylie's amazing and then you might not think Miley. But actually, your problem is honestly. that Kylie had annoyed you a bit. So maybe we'll talk about that in a minute when I've got through my list. And the only other one I wanted to mention is this is the kit. She did a really beautiful set. On and the can West I Holt just stage. acknowledge, you know, that when people say there's not enough women on the bill, you've just named about five different female artists or are all completely different genres, completely different style, completely different thing. Whole generations now of people who don't listen to music in the same way that we used to. Like if I look at my record collection when I was a teenager, like their albums with white guys, you know, and I don't even, you don't even notice it while it's happening to you when you're buying this stuff. All the Smiths, all the Cure records, all the uh, Primal Screams and the and the Happy Mondays, all of those records that I have, you know, on and on and on, all white blokes, right? It's because we used to consume music in that way. So now kids don't give a shit. When I say kids, I mean anyone under my age, under 40, <laughs> let's say. Um, they just consume music in a different way. So they cross genres and they will listen to Massive Attack and then Kings of Leon and then Bananarama. And then, you know, they don't care. They don't listen to music in the same way that we used to. Oh, yes. We have hardly mentioned the other two main stage headliners, which yeah. was The Killers and The Cure, right? I'm doing my Killers dance. What, what doesn't... <laughs> What doesn't kill you won't cure you or something. If they had been there, but there had been a third white male older states band of indie rock playing, it would have just been a mush. It would have just been a mush. But because you've got two older, basically white male indie bands, but you've also got Stormzy playing a set and your head's been exploded by all these amazing other things, you start to hear the fact that the killers and the cure couldn't be more different. Of course. And yeah. it comes through more vividly. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. I, I know, it's exp- a bit unwaffling. I was trying but- to explain to somebody, and somebody, um, God is in the TV zine, has put a really good um, article about The Cure up. He explained, you know, he was there at the time and what the 80s meant and why The Cure was subversive. And he explains it much better than I'm going to now because I'm not going to. But he, but I was trying <laughs> to explain to somebody how subversive they were. They were not mainstream. And for them to be headlining was always fun as well and that the fact that we Chris was like explaining this on Twitter about how he didn't there's no other vocal except Robert Smith's vocal anyway it was a great one for me this weekend's one because it also had Johnny Marr getting up on stage with the Killers doing Smith's songs and there's been this whole debate about whether or not we can still like the Smiths even though uh, the lead singer is a complete idiot racist and some of our friends have got rid of all their everything to do with the smiths me i'm a bit too attached to smiths and so it was like nice to see um brandon flowers singing with johnny marr and pulling it off So a couple of people on Twitter suggested that the Smiths should reform without Morrissey and get Brandon Flowers to sing. And of course, the amount of money that would be in that would make it possible, I imagine. Would you like that idea? Would you go and see Brandon Flowers fronting the Smiths? Honestly, back in the day when I had to get a new iPhone or I got had to get a new... Uh, not iPhone. 
and I had to sort my music out because iTunes thingies, what were they called? iPods would like break. <laughs> Every time I got any music again or at the input, the machine to play my music the first thing i'd put on was the smiths so they're never gonna you're never gonna make me get rid of my records but i don't care about what seeing them live i should mention that darren Heyman made the really interesting point about robert smith that the cure just don't have any backing vocals whatsoever that's that was darren Heyman. okay a really interesting point because there are so few bands that do that did you just spill your tea at darren Heyman? <laughs> any other things that you particularly loved Anything that was surprised to you that you hadn't heard of, that you didn't, you weren't expecting to like, maybe that you really loved. You made me watch some jazz, and I quite enjoyed it. I would have liked to have seen Flying Lotus as opposed to Kamikaze Washington. Kamazi Washington. Yeah, but Flying Lotus is. is I just, one I, I would have quite liked a bit more Chemical Brothers stuff, like ravey stuff. Do you mean more psychedelic? Yeah. So one of the interesting things about this is Janelle Monet, right? So neither of oh. us are particularly sold on Janelle Monet's live show. I want to. Yeah. I mean, when I put this stupid list of my scores up on Facebook, and I've only given Janelle Monet 6 out of 10, and we didn't watch the whole set of her, we only watched a few minutes, which is the same actually as Primavera. We were there for about 20 minutes of her set, or half an hour of her set, I guess, and then we went to watch Chai. And we weren't that blown away by... She's clearly a very talented performer, but I wonder if the problem is she's billed as that kind of psychedelic Afrofuturism when actually what her show is is, is just like a Prince show, a sort of knock-off Prince show. No, that works well in videos and TV, but she just doesn't engage with the audience. She's performing in a different way. I just don't get the songs, honestly. She doesn't have the humour or the connection with the audience like Lizzo does, and she doesn't have the presence or the songs like Prince. You know, like, she's not she's not anywhere near any of those people. She's beautiful and she's got loads to say in the press and blah, 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 but I just, I just don't get it. I'm not into it. People need positivity and a bit of L-O-V-E. That's very nice. Do we have anything else to say about our experience watching Glastonbury? Maybe the question to close this with is, did it make you want to physically go to Glastonbury? (laughs) That was quick. (laughs) Sitting here and watching it with just me. I just like watching TV. I hardly go out the house. Given that it's so good like that, the stage streams, and you don't have to deal with all the presentation... Isn't there a case almost for, like, hiring venues and putting on mini Glastonbury's? But that's what they always said with VR and, like, technology and blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't have to be there. That's what Twitch is all about, isn't it? I don't know. Sort of is, Anyway, moving on. What are you reading for? What are you reading for? (laughs) What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? And what are you reading, my dear Refar? I thought you were going to go first. No, I think you're. All right, okay. I'm reading. What I'm reading this week is Kate Atkinson's book, Life After Life. It's got a fox on the cover. It's a novel, and uh, if you know her stuff, right? She wrote um, behind the scenes at the museum, which her stuff is often marketed as quite chiclety and like easy read. Um, stuff like you take on holiday but they're usually really dark lots of like intrigue and family drama and uh, quite unusual she's an, an amazing writer now, I haven't read one of her books for absolutely ages and uh, this book is about a little bit like 
um, Time Traveller's Wife, it plays with the idea of reincarnation, um, time travel, re- uh, second chances. So on the back it says, what if there were second chances and third chances and an infinite number of chances to live your life? Would you eventually be able to save the world from its own inevitable destiny? So like that idea of like, if you had the chance to go back in time, would you kill Hitler, for example? Anyway, I've got into it really fast. Um However, I can't, there's a bit of me in my head is like, oh my God, I can't remember the last time I wrote, read a book about Victorian ladies and it's all very Downton Abbey at the beginning and it's just like twee and I haven't read these sorts of books for ages. But when I was younger, when I was growing up, I used to read Agatha Christie and all this kind of twee dramas but it isn't it's dark as hell and if you like that book cloud atlas and all those different books where they play with the time you'll enjoy this one but it is for me a bit like oh god i can't i can't relate i'm finding it unrelatable because in the past i might have been able to just enjoy it as it is but at the back of my head i'm like going these people are so rich and so middle class and so not even middle class, upper class, and it's Victorian England, I'm like watching it like a period drama, you know, like I'm not involved at all. And these days I don't watch those things, but in the past I used to be really into Merchant Ivory. Because <laughs> <laughs> her writing is extraordinary, right? Somehow she seamlessly tells you what's going on with the character's head, even though they're in the middle of a conversation. It does make me want to go and have a, like a cream tea and <laughs> put a bonnet on. <laughs> Yeah. It's Kate Atkinson's Life After Life that I think came out last year. It's older than that, I think. Is it? All right. Well, anyway, what are you reading? Well, I've been kind of putting off talking about this for a few weeks because it's quite an extraordinary book and I haven't finished it either. I'm still about a third of the way through. I'm reading Robert McFarlane's Underland, this kind of epic scale, huge non-fiction exploration of the underworlds around the earth and that can be in mythology or fiction or whatever but also in our memory and in the actual earth itself because obviously Robert McFarlane is first and foremost a nature writer and a historian of nature and land. One key thing about the book is it takes place over vast swaths of time but of course the things that he's discovering and unlocking are all discovered and unlocked now and often very recently like what like for example when large chunks of permafrost start to melt because of climate change ancient lost diseases ancient lost species ancient lost things remnants of ancient civilizations all emerge unexpectedly like a mammoth and also anthrax like all of that has happened in the last few years in places around the world he talks in a kind of deep time way so he's talking hundreds of thousands of years but he's also talking stuff that's just emerged in the last year and he just explores the underland it's an absolutely extraordinary book it passes from like bronze age and burial chambers he does the catacombs in paris he does like greenland's melting glaciers he does like even human-made like deep minds and underground worlds that we've constructed ourselves anyway even though i'm only a third of the way through or something it's an absolutely bewitching book i would say it might be the best non-fiction prose i've ever read i mean it's certainly mm-hmm. one of the greatest pieces of non-fiction you feel like not a single line is wasted even though it's telling this enormous story he is able to go from 
a vast chunk of history into him crawling into a hole, like literally physically crawling into a hole with one of his mates, you know, to explore <laughs> something. He's able to do that. He's able to go from the red handprint paintings of the ancient people through to our lost culture from now in the breath of anything. And he writes like an angel, I swear. He writes like an angel. Anyway, that's Robert McFarlane's Underland. It may well end up being one of my favourite books I've ever read. I think it's certainly... Already I could just smell it's going to go in my top ten books of all time. I just... Honey. It's having a spiritual impact on me. What? Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. We are finished. If you want to get in touch, you can follow us on Twitter at ReFigurePod. ReFigurePod. The Instagram is we are at Refigure UK. And Facebook is facebook.com slash refigurepod. Be lovely to hear from you. Come say hello. Give us a nice like and a review and oh, some review. stars and all those sort of things. I like lots more reviews. Thank you so, so much to every single one of you who has already given us a review on iTunes. I think there's about 17 now. We really appreciate it. It makes a big difference to know that you're listening. Thank you. Well, it also is really useful strategically because um, they get counted for something or other. Well, we just we just love it to yeah. hear what you think. Ta-ta for now. Next episode will be the final episode of season two. Boo. So we're going to do another one next week and then we'll take a break. Last time I said there'd be special episodes in the gap and in the end there probably weren't. Well, there's maybe one. But um, I won't promise, but we probably There were some something. specials, but we just didn't record them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there were some specials in our house. So next week is the final episode of season two and hopefully we will return after a break with the start of season three. Bye for now. Bye for now. Can I do my disco nap meditation?